0: Maybe uh, you you can only write about so much about nuclear engineering without it getting boring. But I'm sure there's media outlets online somewhere that love writing about nuclear engineering. <laughs>
1: Coming to you in your speakers from Dubai to all around the globe. This is James Reynolds Traffic Jam Podcast. Five, four, three, two, one. Hey, what's up, listener? You're tuned into the Traffic Jam podcast. I'm your host, James Reynolds, and this is episode number 37. Now, if you're a first-time listener to the show, the podcast is all about building and growing a profitable audience for your website. And on today's episode... We're going to be helping you do that using inbound marketing, specifically using content distribution to amplify the content on your website. Plus, we'll be talking about a little known concept called content shock, which you'll hear all about in the upcoming interview. But don't go anywhere after the interview because we'll have our regular segments, which is the one minute traffic tip This week's news in traffic and then to play out the show, The Traffic Jam, which is a musical jam chosen by my guest today, who is Chad Pollitt. The Traffic Jam podcast with James Reynolds. Reynolds, Reynolds. Well, let me introduce Chad Pollitt. He's a former U.S. Army commander and professional at foosball, which is kind of coincidental because Eric Enger is also a former champion foosball player. So I guess we should probably have a Traffic Jam foosball head-to-head, right? Episode 37 versus 34 could be kind of fun. (laughs) Anyway, aside from foosball... Chad Pollitt is an authority on inbound marketing and has produced some really awesome content around the topic, Uh, specifically his 51 things your mother taught you about inbound marketing, which is an ebook available on Amazon and some real authoritative pieces for social media today for which he's a contributor. So he's a director at Digital Relevance, which is www.relevance.com. And he's a really sound guy as well. So, uh, I'm going to leave it at that for the introduction and just get straight into the content. So, uh, without any further ado, let's welcome Chad Pollitt from relevance.com. This is the interview for the session number 38 and at the end of several wires running underneath the ocean between Dubai and Indiana is Chad Pollitt. Chad, welcome to Traffic Jam. Thanks, James. I appreciate it. It's great to be here. So I've asked you on today to talk a little bit about content marketing. Um, of course, it's a topic that's been widely covered on this show, and it's an explosive trend that shows no signs of slowing down, at least imminently. How long, Chad, before this whole bubble bursts on content marketing?
0: Well, James, um, it's funny you say that, because there's a lot of people with varying opinions on whether it will ever burst or uh, what some of the nuances around that that concept of content shock what what those nuances are, um, I I think I believe that um, I, I think we're we're there now in some industries. I, I think that if if you wanted to open a brand new online marketing agency tomorrow, mm-hmm. and you started from scratch on a website and all you did was focus on owned media, and that's uh, your own blog and Uh, your own infographics and things like that, it would take you years upon years, if ever, to build a significant enough audience to drive massive business growth in your company. Mm -hmm. So I I see that in our own industry today. In fact, um, Marcus Sheridan, uh, many people know him as the sales lion. Um, he, He developed a concept he calls digital sooners, and he discussed the digital land grab and he, he, he attaches some dates to it of about 2007 until about 2012, I believe. Uh, and what he said was, in that time frame, there wasn't a lot of industries publishing lots of helpful information. Mm. So that the companies and the brands that did that in that time frame are the ones that are being highly rewarded today with massive audiences. Mm. You know, brands like Moz, brands like HubSpot. Now I'm being very specific and talking about the marketing niche, but what we found is across other industries, this is happening as well. So, for example, maybe HVAC, maybe they haven't hit the red line yet on when uh, they're going to experience some of these content shock factors, but eventually that industry will if they haven't already.
1: Well, it's interesting. We had Marcus on the show. I'll, I'll have to dig back and find the episode number, and and he was a classic example of him, himself of of gaining real traction with content. But you so rightly put it. He he was doing that with uh, river pools and spas in the very early days of of content marketing when there was, um, there was less competition and um, you know, less people out there doing this stuff. It would be a very interesting case study to see if he could achieve such similar results now, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. And, and he may be able to. It depends on what's happening content wise in that particular industry. And I don't follow it regularly. So <clears throat> excuse me, I really don't have any input. But I do know that um, content is being produced at a much faster uh, clip than what it has in the past.
1: Yeah, good. Well, of course, I was in my opening question there sort of ushering towards this whole concept of content shock. And I think if I'm right in saying, I think it was first coined by Mark Schaefer, who's a a guest on episode 18 of Traffic Jam. And of course, it's a concept that you have yourself talked about quite extensively. Now, I think the idea is to the best of my understanding that sometime soon this supply of content will outweigh demand. And us marketers essentially are faced with a couple of scenarios. One, our content simply goes unconsumed or two, we lose the battle for attention as better content, perhaps more well-funded content emerges. Now, what's the answer? How do we actually um, battle against this, you know, ensuing scenario?
0: Well, that's an excellent question. And and I think about this a little differently than most. So most people believe that this is inherently a content problem. Uh, I don't believe it is. I believe it's an audience problem. So that's an important distinction to make between content and audience because this is why. Audiences out there today, for the most part, they have their trusted sources for the information that they consume on a regular basis. Uh, Just look at your own habits. So I have very specific websites that I go to every morning to consume my marketing content, the Mm. content that I need to read to stay up to date on what's happening, and that doesn't waver very often. Now, occasionally I'll see something on Twitter I might click on, but other than that, I go to LinkedIn today, and I go to ShareBlock to get a lot of my content. I also use Clout now cuz Clout is now curating content. Mm. To get me away from those websites in the morning is going to be very 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 difficult. But I will say this, if you as a brand can figure out how to get your content where I go already within the the content that's that's created and published, you have a much better chance and a higher likelihood of getting my attention. And what I mean specifically is earned media, and that is earning, uh, er- earning coverage from an influencer or a journalist on one of those trusted websites that I go to on a regular basis.
1: Okay. Well, this is good stuff. I guess we should... Perhaps sort of explore how this might come about, because I'm sure there's listeners out there going, right, I can establish a few sites in my market where my potential audience will be. I understand where those watering holes are. What's the process of kind of approaching these sites, these journals, whatever they may be to actually get your content placed there?
0: So we have a four step process that we use here. We do, we earn media for clients on a regular basis. That's what we do. Uh, we do some paid media, but mostly earned. So the, it all starts with research. In fact, I'll, I'll spell out the process. It's research, creative, promotion, and conversion. Those are the four steps of our process. And before we even consider what ebook or what guide or what widget we want to create, To pitch to the media, we do thorough, thorough research and we identify what our clients' personas online actually look like because they're going to look different. Their digital signals are going to be different than their offsite signals or their offline signals, for example. So it's not, I'm not talking about. Traditional persona development. I'm talking about what websites do they go to? How long do they stay there? Where were they before they went to that website? Where were they after they went to that website? Oh, and by the way, what articles and what types of content are the most shared or the most popular on this particular website that your target demographic consumes on a regular basis? I want to know those questions. I want to do, I want to know the answers to them. I want to do a media assessment. I want to do an influencer assessment I want to know who those journalists are and those influencers that are creating this content that's popular uh, i want to I want to figure out what problems they're solving for people in these uh, on these uh, online destinations these are very very important data points to gather I'm also going to do keyword research as well and figure out what what buzz is happening on the search engines and how that relates to these particular websites and, and media outlets? And once I have all that, then I decide what guide or ebook or widget I'm going to build or create. It's not until I have that research because what I want to do, ultimately, content marketers, they want to create helpful content for the consumer of that content, but we approach it a little different we want to create content for the media outlet now ultimately the media outlet prefers to uh to to launch content or to publish content that their audience is is going to love right uh, but we focus more on the media because if we can pitch them appropriately if we can make this content and say hey would you cover this in an article they're much more likely to do so
1: Oh, dear. And in reading uh, up on our sort of interview, you know, in the last sort of couple of days or so, you'd published a few articles which you actually pinned over to me as as resources. And most of those had links off to some form of of PDF guide or perhaps um, downloadable ebook or or something to that extent. Were those particular content pieces created in mind of what you actually wanted to send people off to afterwards?
0: Uh, yes, yes. Uh, that Those were uh, what I'd call um, mini versions of what we do for a client, for example. Uh, the, it's really trying to – because the content distribution and promotion as, as an industry it, is very young. It's emerging. Uh, I'd say if last year was the year of content marketing, this year is the year of content distribution and promotion. Mm-hmm. And what what I'm trying to do is, is develop some thought leadership and – Bits and pieces, so smaller like cheat sheets and things like that, and get them out there for people to consume, so they can start thinking about content distribution and promotion. Because we all know that, uh, depending on the the study, the I think 2013's uh, B2B content marketing state of content marketing study said that uh, 64% of marketers weren't um, weren't uh, I believe they weren't confident that their content was delivering the the results that it should yeah so we that tells me right there that the industry is not embracing distribution and promotion like they should be
1: yeah well let's come we'll come back to that topic in a in a short while but i want to ask you a little bit about content creation itself and the life cycle of it i mean i know certainly in the past there was real benefits to producing consistent, regular content. It was something that Google rewarded in terms of its algorithms. Um, that, however, putting out consistently, um, consistently delivered content that perhaps isn't of the highest sort of, um, quality level probably doesn't weigh up so well now does it i mean you you know with so much more content online you probably have to raise the bar a little bit on the quality of what you put out where do you sit in that kind of whole seesaw between quality content versus quantity of content so
0: that that's another great question i i don't because i i'm going to say something that's probably new to a lot of the a lot of your listeners cuz a lot of people don't talk about this Ultimately, the reason that we're producing this content is to drive business, right? But if you take a step back from that and ask yourself, why am I creating this content? Why do we create owned media? Well, we create owned media to earn media. If, if you really think about that, that's what we're doing. We want to get covered We want the media to cover our content. We want people talking about it. We want people sharing it all throughout social media. We're creating it to earn media. Mm. So what I say is the quality bar is established by those websites that have audiences that we want to tap into. So, for example, if you're in the PR industry, uh, having your content featured on PR Daily – or syndicated on PR Daily. Uh, that's a good place cuz there's there's an audience there that you might want to speak to. Well, that being said, I would not say PR Daily publishes the highest quality content. Mm. They publish content that their audience likes. So, if you take their content and pair it up against the Harvard Business Review, Maybe the Harvard Business Review has higher quality, in quotes, content, but the audience for PR Daily prefers their type of content, their quality level of content. So what I'm saying is we produce own media to earn media, and the quality bar is based on where you want to earn that media. So go to their website and look at the content that they publish, and that should be your, your measuring stick.
1: Yeah, And I guess this all comes back as well to understanding what that persona is, that ideal person that you want your content to be consumed by, because if you're not tailoring it to them, which ultimately is the audiences that exist on these places, you're getting it all wrong, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's why that research phase uh, in our process is it's critical. Uh, Lots of content marketers do some sort of research to write their piece or to create their video or whatever that is. But it's the media assessment piece that most people don't do, because after all, we create own media to earn media. That's the real reason we do it.
1: Yeah, so let's talk now a little bit about promotion. In your opinion, what's the ideal balance between time and energy spent creating content and time and energy spent promoting content?
0: That's a great question, in fact, I've been doing a lot of research on this. Uh, I spoke to uh Ryan Skinner over at Forrester not too long ago uh, about um paid media specifically, and uh he he was leaning towards the twelve to fifteen percent mark that um twelve to fifteen percent of your time and your budget should be spent on promotion activities. Uh, and then I did some more research, and I found um a thought leader, and I can't remember his name. He's in Ohio. If it pops into my head, I'll let you know. Uh, he recommended investing 45% of your content marketing investment into distribution and promotion. So that's a big, big gap yeah. between recommendations. So this is what I did. I went back to our client base, and I went to our services side, and I had them dig through. And, and really pick apart our campaigns to see how much we're actually spending on promotion and distribution activities. And that number, when you include paid, came out to 29%. So that's the rule of thumb or benchmark that we are sharing publicly now after doing that research.
1: Yeah, it's interesting stuff. I mean, I've heard numbers bouted around as high as seventy percent of your sort of time, energy, and budget should be spent on distribution. Now, that kind of leaves a bit of a, a void for me. I mean, so much of your budget is spent on distribution. I mean, really, what's left for creating stuff that's gonna be that's gonna be consumed and shared in the first place? But it's an in, certainly an interesting conversation, um, and I guess. You know, if we were to establish some numbers for, for most businesses out there, I'm sure they would be leaning far lower down on the scale in terms of time spent on, on on creation as opposed to distribution.
0: Right, right. And Ryan Skinner from Forrester, his own research showed that you can actually step down content creation and step up promotion and distribution and get much better results. Uh, one of the, the cool things about that is I mean, we always talk about quality content. What makes quality content is is the feedback we get right yeah. that feedback loop, and what happens when you when you invest in content distribution and promotion, you accelerate that f- feedback loop, so mm-hmm. you're getting much more feedback because you're putting your content in front of thousands and thousands of eyeballs rather than the few hundred you might get on your website in a day.
1: Yeah, well, let's talk a little bit more about distribution. We, we've spoken about this sort of concept of of earning distribution, but where else can our you know listeners potentially be distributing to that might not involve earned sort of silo?
0: Okay, so well, first of all, when I say earned media, I mean several different things. It could be news coverage, it could be editorial coverage. It could be influencer coverage, So, um, and one of the influencers writes about something that you did. It could be a syndication relationship. So, for example, I syndicate my content to LinkedIn and to the Huffington Post and to a couple other places like social media today. Uh, and then, uh, so syndication is a big one and curation is another form of earned media. So if your content is being curated somewhere, yeah. uh, that's another form. Now, on the paid side, what I'm really talking about is native advertising and that comes in several different flavors. So you've got your advertorials. So for example, Forbes is the big name out there that's really, um, they're, they're making some, some, some decent revenue in selling uh, basically contracts to companies and allowing them to write articles within their paid promotion area. So it looks natural and native, so to speak. Uh, there's lots of other websites that offer advertorial uh, contracts and, and relationships. So uh, there's plenty of them out there. It's kind of the wild, wild west. Pricing's all over the place from six figures down to a couple hundred dollars. So advertorials are one uh then you've got your your native what what I call more flatline native advertising which is things like um Outbrain and Adblade and Taboola and companies like that where if you go to say HuffPo Huffington Post and you scroll down to the bottom of an article you'll notice there are uh sponsored suggestions for other other articles to read and if you click on one of those it'll go off site to another website Uh, that's the native advertising that I'm talking about in this example. So there's plenty of those opportunities as as well. And then you could always do um, uh, social promotion in the native feeds. That's another big one. I've been experimenting a lot with that lately. So that's another opportunity for paid native promotion.
1: And what would you suggest is the the right balance now and perhaps going forward as more competition starts to exist?
0: Well, on the paid side, you really need to experiment because you can blow through a lot of money quickly if you're not careful. So depending on the media research that you do and the audience assessment that you do, depending on where they hang out and what type of native relationships are, are established with the ad networks, you're going to want to uh, – I'd get your foot wet before you dive in. Yeah. Um what what we do, we, we spend about 5% of what we do in terms of time and budget on um, on paid media to include social promotion as well as, as some of your native advertising. The advertorials that, that we focus on are more one-offs. Um, we establish those relationships in addition to the work that we do uh, for our clients. So um that can really vary like i said avatars are the wild wild west right now pricing is all over the map you'll have to determine if if that value proposition is worth your 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 budget
1: yeah now i know that you do a lot of different strategies um in terms of syndication over at digital relevance if you had to pick one perhaps out of some of those that you've just described what's been uh, been giving the biggest payoff for you recently
0: um I'd say the biggest payoff for me is is the columns that, that I earn. So, for example, I have my own column at Social Media Today. They do syndicate some of my content, but for the most part, what I publish on Social Media Today is original and exclusive to them. Mm. Now, they go out of their way to promote that content, and their audience is the perfect audience for me to get my message out to. So when we do our media assessment, they're definitely one of those top websites. And the content that we publish there tends to get a lot of traction, a lot of conversions. I can get conversion rates over 30% off of that website for one article when I publish, when I link back to a landing page. So it's been a great relationship with them. Um, the The other side of that is – so I also publish on Huffington Post and LinkedIn. Those audiences are completely different than the audience over at social media today. Something that might go crazy on social media today might not get but 500 views on LinkedIn Mm. or on Huffington Post. So where LinkedIn and HuffPo have larger audiences – there, there's only a small subset of their audiences that are interested in the problem-solving content that we produce as a company.
1: Yeah, and I'm sure you're tracking all of this. I'd be quite interested to know whether this uh, content that you, you place, especially to the, the social media site, has diminishing returns, because you'd expect that perhaps over time as that audience get used to you a little bit more, that perhaps the return from that time invested there would uh, would be uh, less fulfilling for you. Has that been the case? You know,
0: I can't say for
1: certain that that's the case because probably
0: about every 4 months the the general topics of what I tend to write about change with the the ebb and flow nature of our industry. Mm. Uh, so uh, in that regard, as long as I'm writing some something that's fresh and relevant, uh, it tends to to uh to drive the same conversion rates and the same amount of traffic back to our website but i can see where if you're in an industry like oh i don't know um nuclear engineering um maybe (laughs) uh you you can only write about so much about nuclear engineering without it getting boring but i'm sure there's media outlets online somewhere that love writing about nuclear engineering Uh, but uh yeah i can see that being an issue
1: (laughs) well if we can find any we'll make sure they're linked off to in the the show notes just for reference for our traffic jam listeners today (laughs) (laughs) now a bit of a curveball question as we kind of get you know close towards closing out chad what has your mother ever taught you about inbound marketing (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, that's um, I, I wrote a book called Fifty One Things Your Mother Taught You About Inbound Marketing, and and uh, what I wanted to do, I wanted to have fun and uh, really talk about some of those sayings that your mom used to say to you as a as a child, like "Don't jump on the bed" or or "Close the door." You weren't raised in a barn, and really uh, a- analogize those to principles of best practices in inbound marketing. And I came up with 51 of them. The last one, uh, spoiler alert, the last one is uh, I love you. Uh, So uh, the idea is that if you get inbound marketing right and you create great, helpful content, your audience and your prospects and your customers and your community will show you brand love and they'll evangelize uh, what you do and what you produce. So that's the the moral of that story, but uh, I highly recommend uh, giving it a download. Uh, I'm sure there's going to be a link on here to it, okay, well, and hey. it's a uh, it's it's a quick read. It's a it's uh, just under 100 pages.
1: Yeah, and I had a quick check out of it uh, earlier, and uh, I love the graphics and the imagery that accompany it. It's uh, it's very cool. It's it's beautifully branded content as well that uh, I'm sure will get traffic jam listeners thinking about how they produce their own stuff as well. So, Chad, um, just before we do close out, have you got any parting pieces of advice for our Traffic Jam listeners that you'd like to share?
0: Yeah, certainly. I just want to reiterate, if if you're just doing owned media and you don't have a content distribution or promotion plan, I, I highly recommend you do some research on it because it can give awesome returns. One link on Inc. Magazine last year has driven over 9,000 conversions on my website, and we earned that that, that mention. And, and nice. you can earn them too. And you can get those leads and those conversions for your website.
1: Nice. Well, if that's not some inspiration to get Traffic Jam listeners going out there and doing their own research, I don't know what is. Chad, uh, leave us with a few places that we can reach out and connect with you.
0: Certainly. Uh, I'm easy to find Chad Pollitt on Google. Uh, there's a whole bunch of stuff there. Uh, I'm accessible on LinkedIn. I'm, I love Twitter. I'm on Twitter every day. Uh, definitely, it's just at Chad Pollitt, my first and last name. No weird characters in between there. And uh, yeah, reach out. Uh, hit me up with questions. I love talking about this stuff. Uh, look forward to uh,
1: connecting. Fantastic. Well, thank you for your time and expertise today, Chad. Been thoroughly enjoyable chatting to you. To you, the listeners, the show notes, the transcript and all of the links and resources mentioned by Chad will be going over on trafficjamcast.com. Just look out for episode page 37 and you'll find all of the details there. So just one last farewell and thank you, Chad. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks, James. This week's news in traffic. Okay, so the first story this week is from Facebook, who've introduced something new called Facebook Audience Network. And this is basically a way for advertisers to extend their Facebook advertising beyond Facebook itself into other mobile applications. So this will allow you not just to have ads in the Facebook newsfeed, but extend those same ads into other application faces. Now, according to Facebook, the same features such as core audiences, lookalike audiences and custom audiences will still be available. But with one click, you can send that advertising across other platforms and mobile applications. Now, the audience network is in its very early stages of development. And at least at first, they're only making it available to advertisers looking to drive app installs or app engagement. So it's certainly directed at the app application marketer right now. However, Facebook do say they'll extend it to other objectives in the near future. Now, I think it would be quite interesting to give the audience network a try. However, the targeting options, at least at this stage, do seem to be quite limited. So I do think you can expect results to vary quite a lot. However, if you do want to give it a go, you're encouraged to reach out to your account rep or your client partner at Facebook elsewhere on the internet, it's been a pretty quiet week really for traffic news. The main stories being that Google Analytics have added some reporting options and Foursquare have split its app into two separate applications. The new one being called Swarm, which takes its uh, inspiration from Instant Messenger, where you can see which of your friends is online or offline. And the original application has actually been redesigned from the ground up. And the biggest surprise being the removal of the check-in altogether because the new app will focus on discovery and exploration. So if you're using Foursquare in your marketing mix, you might want to go and check out that story a little bit further. In other updates, I want to tell you about an event happening in Dubai on the 20th and the 21st of May at the JW Marriott Marquis Hotel on Sheikh Zayed Road. It's the Marketing Live event and it's a two-day conference, the second day being the Search Exchange, which is the first and only search engine marketing conference to be held in the Middle East. Now, not only will I be presenting on that day, but I've been asked also to to chair and compare the event, which I'm super excited to do. So if you want to come see me live, that's where you can do it next. I'll be presenting and comparing, as I say, on the 21st of May. Now, further details can be found on Facebook. Just do a search for Marketing Live, and it's by using the acronym MKTG Live, and you'll find all the details for the event and a bit of pre-show hype. So well worth checking out. I'd love to see you there. And if you do pop along to the conference, make sure you come over and say hi as well. So the awesome reviews keep on coming in and they're especially awesome this week because both Evgeny from Australia and Kiwi Liz from the United States have left reviews not just on iTunes or Stitcher Radio, they've left their review on both. So guys, I really appreciate you going that extra effort to leave two reviews, not just one. Evgeny from Australia says, this is by far my favourite podcast about online marketing. James is super nice with a very elegant English accent. Well, I'm not so sure about that, Evgeny, but I guess I'll take your word for it. He then goes on to say, the podcast consists of interviews with smart and influential people in the industry. James is a really good host and asks great questions that are relevant and useful. The show is very entertaining and informative as well. Kiwi Liz from the United States says, James has a great personality with excellent guests. Topics are spot on, with a focus being on how to truly increase your traffic and build an engaged audience online. Not just giving lip service to these topics, but adding real value. So, once again, guys, thanks for going to the extra effort of leaving your review in two places, not just one. To you, the listener, well, one is good enough. So, I really would appreciate if you get the time this week to pop on over to iTunes or Stitcher Radio and leave a review and rating for the show. Or you can pop by trafficjamcast.com, scroll to the bottom of the site and find the leave a voice message link and you can talk into your microphone and leave a voice recording for the show. That would also be awesome. Or head on over to the episode page we have for this episode and all others at trafficjamcast.com and you can enter the conversation there. The one minute traffic tip. Now I'm always arguing the point that SEO is not all about rankings. With factors like Google authorship and personalized search, there are other ways that you can impact how much search engine traffic you get to your website that doesn't depend on what position your site ranks for certain keywords. Now in order to increase the amount of clicks you get from your current rankings, you want to optimize your page titles and page descriptions because this is the text that gets shown in the search results when your listing appears. By optimizing these two things, you can make your listing more appealing and therefore attract more clicks. To do this you can use Google Analytics to first identify which pages on your site are most visited from search engines and then which search terms those pages get traffic for. Then by doing a search in Google yourself you can see what the top ranked Adwords ads say in their ad copy. These ads are ranked top because they have the highest click-through rate and by spying on their ad copy, you can quickly assess what wording gets the highest clicks for those searches and then use that to optimize your organic search results. So there you go, a real quick way to optimize your metadata to get more clicks from the search engines. So thank you for listening in to episode 37 of Traffic Jam. I will be back in about seven days from now with a linked in episode with Vivica von Rosen. So tune back in for that one. Remember to subscribe via iTunes and Stitcher Radio and for a direct link to all Traffic Jam episodes, go to trafficjamcast.com where you can join the discussion on this episode and get links to all of the resources mentioned in today's show. Also head on over to veravo.com for more traffic tips and training and to learn how I can help you get more traffic leads and sales from the search engines. We end this week's show with a track chosen by my guest today, Chad Pollitt. And the track title is called Bodies by the band Drowning Paul. So enjoy and I'll see you again next week. What the listening to the traffic jam podcast with James Reynolds. To know more about this program and to subscribe for future episodes, check out the website trafficjamcast.com.